0: And so now it's time for the children's message. And so kids, again, come on up front by your TVs or computer screens, however you're watching and participating. So come on up front, and uh, we'll have a little message for you. And so first, I want you to raise your hand if you've ever gone to an amusement park or a water park. Have any, any of you ever done that? Yeah, many of you have. So it can be fun to go on rides. But some rides have requirements, like you have to be a certain height or a certain weight even to go on the ride. And so I have a a measuring stick here, and if I were to say you have to be 42 inches tall to go on my ride, how many of you would be able to go on my ride? Anybody 42 inches tall or more? Yeah, some of you are, some of you aren't. Some of you meet the requirement and some don't, right? But the requirements help you to know whether you are able to participate and so today, Pastor Jeremy's going to be preaching on the Lord's Supper, or communion, as we sometimes call it. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the requirements for you kids to be able to participate. Sometimes you parents, too, wonder, when is the right time for my kids to start participating in communion? So parents, you can listen in as well. All right. So there's one main requirement for participation in the Lord's Supper, and that requirement is true saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's the requirement for anyone to participate, whether you're a kid, young one, or an older person. To have faith in Jesus means that you understand that you have sinned against God, that your sin separates you from God, and that Jesus, the Son of God, died in your place to pay the penalty for your sin, and that he was raised again to eternal life. So here's a question for you kids to think through. Is your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in him alone for the forgiveness of your sin? If this is true of you, then you have met the requirement. Of course, kids, also be reminded that you are under the authority of your parents. And so if this is something you'd like to start doing, participating in communion, you believe you have faith in Jesus Christ, it'd be good to talk over that with your parents uh, before you would take communion. So parents, a little bit for you as well. How do you know when your child is ready to participate in communion? Well, it's to the best of your ability, uh, would consider have they come to true saving faith in Jesus Christ? And if so, let them participate. However, there are a couple cautions for you parents as well. First, don't push your kids into this. Don't push them into participation if they're not ready. Have a discussion with them and seek out. Do they have a desire to participate? Is it a rightly motivated desire? Second caution is don't wait for your child to be perfect. They will continue to have sin in their life just as you do. Their faith may not look the same as yours. It may not be participating as yours does, but these things shouldn't be a hindrance to them participating. It's whether they have faith in Jesus Christ. So kids and parents, talk together about what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean for you? And then talk together about whether it's the right time to participate in the Lord's Supper or if it would be better to wait. So now Pastor Jeremy's going to come, and we're going to hear more about the significance of the Lord's Supper. So kids, keep listening and keep learning and participating with us. Thanks.
1: If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 34. Uh, Luke 22, uh, 24, that isn't right, it's 14 to 23. Uh, It's Luke 22, 14 to 23. The last five, ten years or so, uh, the phrase, uh, keep calm and carry on, has become a thing. How many of you know that phrase? I'm sure you've heard it, posters, memes, and so on. You might not know the backstory to it. It was developed as a slogan by the Ministry of Public Information in England uh, during the spring and summer of 1939. They took, it's kind of silly, months to develop three slogans, and this was one of them. And uh, they printed up some 2.5 million posters of various sizes, uh, and we're going to hang them up all over the country as a way to help folks endure the difficulty. They decided, though, to delay posting them until there was a major air raid, a major bombing, bombing by the Germans, and then they were going to flood the country with these posters as a way to make it through that terrible bombing. Well, the posters were never, ever made public. They never got hung up at all during World War II. There was a major paper shortage, and so the 2.5 million copies were pulped. They uh, never made it public. It wasn't until about the year 2000 that a used bookshop were sorting through some of the books they were going to put up for sale, and the owner discovered a smaller copy of this poster, Keep Calm and Carry On. Uh, She posted it in her shop, and uh, soon tons of inquiries were being made of how they could get one, so this bookshop began printing them up and selling them. And so now we have it here today. Uh, And so it wasn't used during that. So what does that have to do with the sermon? Well, three things. Uh, First, we're in difficult times. Uh, I'm not comparing COVID-19 to World War II or the bombing of England. But it does simply seem wise during this season to keep calm and carry on. So I had planned months ago to start a three-part Easter sermon series this Sunday. And the first one was going to be this one out of the Lord's Supper. And so I've decided just to... Carry on. I I didn't want to do another sermon on COVID 19. Uh, We'll be doing uh, three sermons then for Easter, uh, but this one on the Lord's Supper, I'll also have an opportunity to preach through 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, our 1 Corinthians series, which we'll get back to after this Easter series. So it's going to be very complicated. If you need to write it down, do so. Three sermon uh, series on Easter, and then in addition, bonus a three-sermon series that will end up being on the Lord's Supper because First Corinthians 10 and 11 have two of the texts in Scripture that most are about uh, the Lord's Supper. And so we'll be learning a bunch about the Lord's Supper. All right, uh, that's one reason. Second reason, keep calm and carry on, has to do with the reality of something like the slogan's disappearance and rediscovery. I think the Lord's Supper is one of those things that we as haven't really been taught on, and maybe really don't know why we do this. What's it for? What purpose in my life does it have? We do it. We even do it by faith, but we uh, might be doing it in some kind of ignorance. I'm not calling you um, a name there. I'm just saying we don't know what it's for. And so I want to bring it, if I can, out of mothballs. And I'd like to take some opportunity to instruct you on why this is. And what you'll find out is that spiritually, this is two of the ordinances that Christ has given you. And they are meant for your great spiritual good. It isn't just mindless ritual. It isn't just uh, an observance that we do, but not for any reason. It actually has reason. Third, we're in a time of social distancing you're not supposed to get within six feet of people. And now I actually read an article that uh, when somebody sneezes, the the sneeze can travel some 26 feet. And so you're going to have to increase your social distancing. Uh, I see uh, one meme that I've seen on this is has a somebody carrying a bayonet that's six feet long. And if the tip gets red, people are getting too close to you. So We're in that kind of a season. We're not supposed to be gathering together socially. Some of you are missing social contact, even touch. Well, what a better time than to consider the church family with Christ at the head gathered around a table for a feast. For us to remember that the church is a family and that the height of our gathering is when we do get to gather around a spiritual Lord's table for encouragement and hope to feast with Christ. He set the table And so picture this. Uh, What a blessing. And I can't wait till we get back together and celebrate it again. All right, enough intro. Let me read our text and pray. And then I want to talk about how Christ has instituted the supper. So again, Luke 22, verses 14 to 23. And when the hour came, he, that is Christ, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired... Uh, Which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed." And they began to question one another which of them it could be was going to do this. Let's pray. God, uh, how can we keep our way pure except according to your word? And so, God, give us a heart, a whole heart to seek you and not wander from your commandments. Help us to store up your word within our heart that we might not sin against you. And so, God, please call riches. Teach Teach us your statutes help us to delight in your word as in all riches. Um, And so we might not forget your word and so draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The simplest truth in this text might be the one that is often overlooked and so forgotten. And that is that not only, we know that all things have been created by God and that includes this supper. There are all things created by God, and then there's these unique creations that God has created in Christ, that that Christ has created and given to the church, and so they have maybe more potency, a special purpose and blessing, and the Lord's Supper is such a one of those. Christ himself, don't forget this, the Son of God, the second member of Trinity, the eternal God of all God, created the Lord's Supper. He instituted it. It's his. He arranged it to be, and he led it. Now, you'll note that in verse 15 he says he earnestly desired to eat this Passover. As you remember in the Old Testament, the Passover was that meal uh, before God led his people out of e- Egypt where they put blood around the doorposts so that he would pass over them. By the by the blood he would pass over them. And so this meal then was to be annually celebrated forever, uh, or at, at least for that time. And now Christ here is coming and saying, I'm designing to eat this Passover. And he's taking the Passover and morphing it into a new supper for the church that will be celebrated as his blood becomes that which avoids the wrath of God. And so God himself is there present with his disciples, taking the old covenant meal and stopping it and starting a new one. And that makes it huge. The Apostle Paul when he uh, is teaching the church in 1 Corinthians 11 how to celebrate this supper, says this, What I received from the Lord I delivered to you. Right? So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal, infinite, holy God, is the master of this feast. And so just, just get this into your heads. Every time you gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper and I'm serving it, uh, the elders are serving I'm standing there in Christ's stead. I know... I am infinitely short of Christ. But this is reminding us that Christ is at the head of the table. He is the setter of the table. He has sent out all the invitations to you to come to the table. So he is the master of the feast. And so let that cultivate in you a bit of reverence and awe uh, that, that Christ himself has given you this meal um, And it's rather simple. I just want to encourage you in this. Sometimes we make our Christian life very, very complex. We can get all wrapped up in different doctrines and different practices and this and that. And and let's just let that evaporate for a moment and just think how simple is this faith? How great it is of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, to simplify, to reduce down our communion with him to a meal with him that he has instituted, that he is Lord over, and that he invites us to. He tells us to do this, to do this. And so we, by faith and obedience, every time we gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper, are obeying our master. And so let that be an encouragement to you. So many times you'll be discouraged on how disobedient you can be. And right on, I'm there with you. And yet in this one, when we gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper and we do it by faith and we do it to honor God and we, and we want to do it rightly, we are obeying our master. And you are obeying your master. And so our Lord is master of the feast, but he's also a willing servant. Uh, I don't know how long ago the show came out. Manny and I watched it all and then we went and watched the movie, I think it was this past winter sometime, Downton Abbey. Uh, Sorry, guys, if I lost a little respect in your eyes, but I did watch all of the Downton Abbey shows. Uh, and, and I did enjoy them, actually. Um, and the show followed the uh, upstairs and the downstairs. That is, the upstairs masters, the, the lords, and the downstairs servants. The servants served the masters. It was never the other way around. But in the Lord's Supper, we see something staggering. The Lord of the upstairs is also the servant downstairs. You'll notice in our text that Jesus Christ not only institutes the feast, not only is Lord over the feast, but is the servant serving at the feast. Christ is Lord over the feast, and he lowers himself to serve his brothers at the table. He takes the bread and breaks it and passes it out. He takes the cup and blesses and passes it out. And so we're reminded again that our Savior, or our Lord, is our Savior. The one who is exalted as a name above all names is the one who stooped down lowest. It isn't by coincidence, I didn't go on reading in verses twenty four and following, but it isn't a coincidence that immediately after Jesus serves his brothers, they begin to bicker over their places of prominence in the kingdom. Uh, The Holy Spirit here is setting up us a very stark contrast. Our Savior is a servant unlike us. Um Notice too, in verse 15, that Christ says he has an earnest desire to celebrate this meal. I find this utterly comforting. You'll be noticing during this COVID-19 thing, lots of statistics. Tons of stats how many people have been infected, and the mortality rate, and so on, and now our government is coming out with this bailout program, and if you have this many people in your household, you're going to get this many m- uh, money, and so on and so forth. In this world, we're just a stat. We're just a number. Right? We're, we're faceless numbers. We are treated, uh, and, and it has to be this way, but w- we're treated not as humans, not necessarily as people, but as numbers. As COVID-19, at least for me, has made me all aware of, of that fact. And, and, and so when I was thinking about the Lord's Supper this week, I was thinking, at Christ's table, I'm not a number. And right? I'm a brother. At, at my Lord's table... I'm just not, a, not a, a number that he's handed down to the chef to figure out how many meals. He, I'm a name. I'm a face. Uh, I'm his beloved brother that he's gone to the cross and bled and died so I might have eternal life in him. He has welcomed me and you to the table. He's got a place card with your name on it. He has pulled out the chair. We say this when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. At his table, you are not a number. He is serving you personally. He is serving us as a family. And so there is at the table an intimate union with Jesus Christ, God himself, with us spiritually, by his Holy Spirit. In a few weeks, when we get to 1 Corinthians 10, and I hope we're together for that, we will see that when we take of the bread and take of the drink, we are fellowshipping with Jesus. There is this spiritual intimacy that is taking place. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, Jesus is there with us. Look at verse 14. Look at the posture of Jesus. He reclined at table. He is comfortable. He, he is, uh, not uptight. He, he couldn 't be any more relaxed with us, uh, and let that be a, an encouragement to you, but also a conviction um, so many times you and I try to put on airs for christ we even during the lord 's Supper, sometimes it can be a great time of spiritual pretension we we want to perform rightly, we want to do the right things, we want to be rightly introspective we We've we got we to gotta order this rightly. And Christ just comes and reclines. And so just get over yourself at the table. Just come. That's it. Just come as you are and enjoy it. The final words spoken or the last deeds done or the special gifts given uh, by a beloved person on his or her deathbed carry a ton of meaning. Or, or the opposite. If a loved one is passing and they don't say the thing that they haven't said before, or you are not given what you expected in the will, uh, and somebody else is, that pain is much more greater at the end of life than it would have been at any other time in life. And so just consider. That the Lord Jesus, on the eve of his betrayal and arrest and torture and uh, death on the cross, the final thing he does, the last thing he gives us, is the Lord's Supper. Okay? The last legacy the Lord gives his beloved blood-bought church, the church that he's about to buy, purchase with his blood, the last gift he gives should be considered much greater, much more precious. And, and it is this sacrament. It is this supper, the Lord's Supper. People, when they're on their deathbeds, don't waste their last moments. They they. They don't concern themselves with frivolous things. They attend to the most important things. They, they want their words to count. They want what they do to matter. No one wastes time on their deathbed. And so is not the Lord's Supper then of much higher, unaccountable value, inestimable value and worth And shouldn't you and I receive it as such? Just consider what Jesus is going through. He knows what he's about to endure. He's been telling the disciples for weeks of his coming death. He is in the throes of of about to being betrayed by one of his 12 most intimate relationships on earth. That's got to be going through his head. He is about to be Arrested by a, a crowd, a mob of his own fellow people, the Jews. He is going to be treated with crazy injustice. He's going to be punched in the face, sucker punched. He's going to have be humiliated before Roman soldiers. He's going to endure shame and embarrassment and suffering. He's going to be nailed to a cross and the sins of all of his people of all time are going to flood onto him. This has to be consuming his mind and his heart. And yet, right before that, with all of that in his mind, he is at a table, reclining, earnestly desiring. It's like this doesn't even... What he's about to endure doesn't even matter because the Lord's Supper has just consumed him. It's so important. This thing is so central to what he wants to give his church to celebrate for time on end that everything he's about to endure, it's just like it's not there. And doesn't that tell you then how important this supper is? Some of you might have thought of it. Before I started bringing this sermon, we're, we're going through an awful time right now. And you're going to preach on the Lord's Supper? Couldn't you come up? How about Psalm 23 this Sunday? Why don't you find a text in the Bible that gives me some comfort? You did Philippians 4 last week. Good on you. Thank you. That That was nice. But now this week, the Lord's Supper. But aren't we there? I mean, Jesus, right before his crucifixion, celebrates the Lord's Supper. I wonder if you were with him at that time, you would have thought, couldn't you have spent these last moments doing something more significant? I mean, I I think that shows us how little we understand what we're doing when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the first Sunday every month. I don't think we get the weight, the importance, the centrality of it. That, That the Lord very carefully, very deliberately, God in heaven ordained this institution of the Lord's Supper on the eve of the Lord's death, taking over the Passover, and doesn't it then follow that this supper is given to us, to you, for some great good that you will experience when we are in obedience and faithfully celebrating it? Doesn't the Lord intend to give you powerful spiritual blessing as you come to celebrate this supper by faith because of when he instituted it. Doesn't doesn't that show you how important this is and how often we neglect this importance? All right, enough of that. Um, If you had to turn down the volume on your TV, so be it. I can't imagine that we would neglect the importance of this after considering that. Well, Next, though, consider Jesus' attitude or the atmosphere of the gathering, if you will. Uh, I'm, I'm sure at some point in your life you've been to a funeral and also to a wedding. Uh, the atmosphere, the tenor at each of those different gatherings are, are very different. Funerals are sad. They're lost. They're mournful. Um, weddings are opposite. They're expected expectant, they're happy, there's gain. You'll notice that the attitude here as they celebrate the Lord's Supper, again, right on the eve of his betrayal and arrest and death, the attitude here is more wedding than funeral. If you've been here and celebrated the Lord's Supper, you've heard me say that. I, I can't help but connect what we're doing here or seeing here with the end of Revelation, and the the marriage supper of the Lamb, that this is what Christ is setting us up for. Of of course he is. Jesus is eager in verse 15. He earnestly desires this meal. He is grateful. He thanks God. He's happy. You can see it. You can feel it. Christ, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we read that Christ blesses the bread and the cup. He's, he's, a, he's in the attitude of blessing. He's in the attitude of giving. He's delighted to do this. Now, I, I don't only want to encourage you, as I often do, to consider your demeanor during the Lord's Supper. Don't, don't be in the funeral attitude. You're, you're not attending awake here we're not We're not at a funeral, um, but I don't want you just to consider your demeanor when you take the lord's Supper i I want you to consider the special blessing of taking the lord's Supper if I can and I don't mean just the the gift of being able to do it. I mean that God is present by His spirit working in you spiritually as you take it. Okay? That that the Lord's Supper is an, an ordinance that God has instituted to sanctify you, to bless you, to encourage you, to convict you, to... Cause you to be more like Jesus. That in the Lord's Supper, our Savior, our Lord, is drawing near to you by his Spirit. He is personally really present. And you and I are drawing near to him personally and really present spiritually with him. This isn't just like mere religious remembering something. Of course, Christ does tell us, do this in remembrance of me. But as again, we'll see in a couple of weeks in 1 Corinthians 10, it says we actually fellowship with Jesus in the Lord's Supper. We, we actually have communion with him. Now, we don't believe at all because it's nowhere in the Bible that Christ is physically present here as Catholics and Lutherans would. Catholics believe that the, that the bread and the wine are transformed into the body and blood of Jesus. That's not how he's present Lutherans don't think that it's transformed, but that Christ is physically somehow mysteriously present in and around in the, the bread and blood. That isn't true. We don't see that in Scripture. But we do see the reality that he is present. Now, of course, we know that where two or three are gathered, he is with us by his Spirit. But there seems to be something more going on here in the Lord's Supper. Jesus says that this, is, this cup is the new covenant in his blood. Every covenant has a sign given by which those who do it are both reminded of God's promises and it's kind of sealed in it, reassured in it. You are blessed again as you take the Lord's Supper to see that God promises to be present with you, and he is, and that you will one day be present with him in eternity. So the Lord's Supper has this past tense, this present tense, and this future tense. We are to remember that we are saved by Christ's death and resurrection alone. You aren't saved by how you celebrate the Lord's Supper. You aren't saved even by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Your salvation was secured by Christ 2,000 years ago when he lived and died and rose. So you are reminded in the Lord's Supper to look back at that, and you are encouraged and grounded in that. But also in the present tense, you are reminded that your God Your Lord, your Savior is present. He is Emmanuel. He is here spiritually at the table with you. We are fellowshipping in 1 Corinthians 10. We are communing. We are near our Savior in the Lord's Supper in a way that seems unique among all other things we do. And then future tense, Jesus says twice in this text, I will not do this again until I do it in the kingdom of God with you. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, we proclaim the gospel until he comes again. So the Lord's Supper is causing you to get your mind there. Now, all of us have daydreams. When you are driving or maybe watching something on TV that doesn't have your attention and your mind is free to wander, maybe it's in bed, uh, before you're asleep and your mind starts thinking of things, and often your mind goes to that which concerns you most, to that which you love. One of the great gifts of the Lord's Supper is God retraining by his Spirit to connect your heart and mind to want to be with Jesus, to, to let fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ be your daydream. Be that which your heart wants more than it wants other things. So the Lord's Supper is, re, is, is doing spiritually in you to really actually say, my desire is to depart and be with Christ because that is far better. That is the intended impact that the Lord wants to have in your life as you take the Lord's Supper by faith. That you are being trained that you are being taught that there is a day coming when you will sit down at the table with your Lord and eat with him, not by faith anymore, but by sight. And that he is teaching you right now to want that day more than you want anything else right now. That's what it's for. It's to help you when there's a COVID-19 pandemic that you eat by faith now, but there will be a day when you eat by sight. That if your job or income is impacted, you eat by faith now, but one day you'll eat by sight. That is, you are concerned with people in your life that you love, that if they get this thing, it could hurt them or kill them, that one day, that you eat by faith now, but one day you'll eat by sight. That you maybe are freaking out at all the government overreach at this time. That you eat of Christ now by faith, but one day you eat by sight. The Lord's Supper is resenting you again that God is the king. That he is your king and that he is present. That's what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be doing for you. That's what it's supposed to do for you. He is sealing the truth on our hearts that Christ died once for all and he will never lose any who come to him by true and living faith but promises to bring you to that table then because you're at that table now by faith. And again, let, let me make it really clear. The Lord's Supper does not save you. Right? The Lord's Supper does not save you, but being saved by faith in Christ In that same faith, we take this Lord's Supper, remembering in the past that Christ died and rose, knowing that now in the future as we draw near to him, he is drawing near to us. He is spiritually present in a significant way, in a unique way that, that we don't see in other places in Scripture, and that we are being built up in the hope of resurrection from the dead, present physically with Jesus. And we look forward to that day above any other. All right. Let's consider one more reality. Christ breaks bread, and he gives it. Christ pours out wine, and he passes it out. These are very ordinary, everyday elements, bread and wine. And I think that's just the point. God gives us a sign of his covenant love. He gives us a seal that his covenant love is good, and can be trusted in. And he does it in a way that communicates not only audibly, but visibly and and tangibly and taste. He's communicating to our hearts and our bodies. Bread is something, it's a little different. Take what I'm going to say rightly. You can't live without it. That's the point. Your body can't exist without food Bread is symbolic of food. Bread's the essential. Bread is the thing around the world that we subsist on. Bread is the simplest and most necessary of foods. You, you can't live without it. Likewise, you can't live without the drink, without the wine, without the, the blessing of God in your life. You, you can't live without these things physically. And, and so then... You can't live without the supper spiritually. You can't live without Christ spiritually. You can't live without him who is the bread of life that nourishes and sustains you eternity. Christ is the cup of blessing, of joy that alone can satisfy your soul. And so just as you need bread, just as you need drink to refresh your bodies, to nourish your bodies, so in the Lord's Supper, your heart, your soul is nourished and refreshed in Christ, by God's Spirit, as we take it by faith. Take it by faith. That is, you are taking it, believing that God is a rewarder of those who come to him in simple childlike faith. That as you take together with your church family and hold the bread and and hold the cup, that Jesus is here with you. And that he is going to nourish your soul, He is going to satisfy your soul, that your spiritual nourishment, that your spiritual satisfaction, mind and body, is alone in Jesus Christ. And as you take that by faith, as you believe it, God is doing that work in you. Again, there is no being justified by how or if you take the Lord's Supper. Again, the thief on the cross... Jesus promised them that that very day you'd be with him in paradise. He never was able to take the Lord's Supper. Rather, being justified by faith, having a faith in Jesus that counts you as just, as right with God, we come by that same faith to be built up and strengthened, to be nourished and satisfied in Christ. So just, just think of that. Why do you take the Lord's Supper? What for? It's for the purpose of God himself, by his spirit, nourishing your spirit, satisfying your soul, as we take it on Christ. Jesus said something utterly shocking in John 6. He tells us that unless we eat of him, unless we eat of his body, <laughs> we have no part in him. Of course, he, he does, it, that's an analogy. That's an analogy of faith that when we are taking the Lord's Supper, we are partaking of him spiritually. When, when we come together by faith as the family of God and take of this, We are partaking of Christ. And so when you take the Lord's Supper, consider again what Christ endured for you. Consider his body broken. Consider the lashes he took. Consider the thorns on his head, the nails in his wrists and in his ankles, the cross, the humiliation, the blood streaming down for the forgiveness of your sins. Think of that. And so in this way, the Lord's Supper is a a memorial, a token it's something to cause you to consider what Christ has done for you, what he is doing for you now, and what he will do for you. At my dad's funeral, we were receiving people. We were outside of the sanctuary at, at the church I grew up in, and uh, standing there, I don't, I don't remember at what point in the service or if it was at the viewing or whatever, I don't remember, but we were there, and one of my my and my father's duck hunting buddies was in line. And when he came up, my dad and I had duck hunted with him and um, uh, my dad must have left some of his duck hunting stuff accidentally with him and he gave me my uh, dad's, one of my dad's duck calls. All right. he, he handed it to me in line and I lost it. Um, it he did it Kindly, he did it to remind me of the real affection he had for my father, and that my father had for him and and me. And it it was meant to honor, to love, as a token. That's what this meal is. In part, it is to cause you every time you hold that bread to consider: Christ had a physical body, has a physical body. It was broken. He had blood in his veins that was poured out as a token as a pledge that when he died 2,000 years ago, that will get you to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is sufficient to save you and I. Let's pray. Father, uh, give us the faith, please, to receive and believe How precious is this gift of the Lord's Supper. Help us to have the faith to not neglect it or to not take it as if it's kind of nothing, but to receive it as a gift from our Master who serves us at his table, instituted on the eve of his sacrifice, for our past, present, and spiritual good, and that you are uniquely present in this upper spiritually by your Holy Spirit in a way that we won't have at any other time. And so God, teach us to receive this as it is. Teach us to love your son more, to have more faith and hope in him, and to live more for his glory going out from it, to be built up in the Son of God, that so we might live more for him in our lives, that we might hate our sin more, that we might love our spouses and children and friends more, that we might care more for our neighbor and his or her eternal destination than we do right now, that we might live in this world differently because of this supper. And so teach us to have the faith for that and to live in light of it, that many, many might be brought to you and built up in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the charge is this. Uh, one of the debates around the Lord's Supper, or a couple of them, is frequency how often should we take it? And one is the elements, especially the drink should it be wine or grape juice? Uh, and we do it monthly and we use grape juice, which is fine. But I do think there is something in that as you consider those things that shows our understanding of what it is. Of course, the more that we see the goodness of something, the more we'll want it. And so I want to encourage you, at least as we do it monthly, to really look forward to communing with the Lord in his supper. And second, there is a great difference between the potency of grape juice and wine. Um, Potency especially of God's blessing. Uh, We typically, in our day of... I think grape juice is for children and wine is for the adults because wine has a, a greater potency. I, I'm not getting into the debate of whether which one we should use, but just consider the potency of God's blessing is much more wine than grape juice in your life. And so that's what I want a charge to leave with. Just just leave knowing of the Lord's great potency of his blessing in your life, particularly in the supper that his son instituted on the eve of his death. He's not a God of little blessings, but a God of potent ones. And so leave knowing that. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Faithful is the God who calls you, He will bring you to himself. He will bring it to pass. Brothers and sisters, let's pray for each other. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.